I say this, um, you know, and, you know, somebody probably be really upset with me, but I, I just think it's a crime that the federal government allows a school to list a loan as part of a financial aid award letter. It's not aid, it's a loan, right? And, yeah. and even worse than this, like, let's say we go through and say, okay, I can give you, I can give the student 5,500. The government has what I think is a predatory loan. It's called the PLUS loan. The PLUS loan has credit criteria, which basically says you don't have any long delinquencies for a long time. Right. Other than that, you, they, 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 they term it in such a way that there's no derogatory credit. Again, for us banker types, that, that's a very low bar. Right? So I'll, they'll give a parent full cost of attendance at a big interest rate with an upfront load, and they think that that's okay. And the, and the school can say, well, we got this plus loan for you. No problem. You can come here to your first point. You know, we'll sign yeah. you up. Here's your dorm room. This is going to be great. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money i've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early i've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy entrepreneurship and a successful mindset Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest today that's in a topic that I can't wait to talk about. I have John Hupalo here with me. He is um, the founder of MyCollegeCorner.com and Invite Education, which is a mission-driven company dedicated to empowering families with the information, tools, and services needed to make more informed college decisions. And we're going to dive into that. He also co-authored plan and finance your family's college dreams and, uh, and, and, and much more. And we're going to get into this uh, as we get going through the show. But John, I want to welcome you to Money Talkers. Cody, thanks so much. It's great to be with the Money Talker family. Glad to uh, do it. Absolutely, man. I hope there's a uh, day by day. I hope we're growing one Money Talker family at a time. So, um, but listen, man, I really want to, uh, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, your background and the, the, the founding of mycollegecorner.com uh, is really something that excites me to talk about because um, the, the, the debt that's going into uh, the family structure right now uh, around college is, is a really big passionate piece for me that I don't feel that there's very much conversation about. There's not very much education and the game is not set up for the kids and the families to win. And so uh, I want to dip into that. And I know I kind of jumped the gun to go get started, but um, tell me how you got to the point where you got to starting mycollegequarter.com. Yeah. So you kind of got on it, right? It, it, it's the reality is um, I had a long career in investment banking, helping families finance their education through the federal loan program. And in the nineties, it's hard to say it, in the nineties, I was really interested in private credit student loans. So you have the, the federal loan program and the private credit loan program. And I became the CFO of a publicly traded student loan company in the early 2000s that didn't do so well in the financial crisis. And so it gave me an opportunity to kind of jump out and do something different. But, you know, a lot of us, Cody, I know you're kind of driven by you know, personal passion for this, and I am too. 
uh, because the, the reality is when I was sitting in that CFO's seat at First Marblehead Corporation, the, the company that, that uh, I was at, I was getting these calls from families and it went exactly like this way too frequently. You greedy, I'm not going to say the word. How <laughs> could you do this to my kid? What did we do, ma'am? Well, you know, they took out a $10,000 loan and now you say that they owe you $14,000. And so the first time I got this call, Cody, I was like, well, wait a minute, what, did we do something wrong here? So I went in the operations group and said, oh, so they gave me the signed promissory note where the family said they didn't want to pay the crude interest while a kid was in school. And so the family signed that, but they had no idea what they were signing. They wanted the money, right? And they, there was money available. They just were signing, signing, signing. And if they had made a, a few simple choices along the way, the kid could have graduated with 10,000 in debt, not 12 or 14,000 in debt. And they, I wouldn't have gotten that call. So it, it became really personal for me to say, you know, I was trying to do something really good by being involved with helping these families finance their education. And it turned out we were doing something that wasn't so good, which was saddling them with debt that they really um, had a choice. And they didn't realize they had a choice. So I'm really glad that you took this uh, topic on today because I love talking about it. And uh, hopefully we can help your audience make some better choices. Well, yeah, you know, the um, I think one of the... I really appreciate you saying that from the inside out on that situation, um, you know, because it, it's, it's kind of personal to me on the fact that I see kids that don't understand um, these types of situations. I mean, we're talking about 10 grand at this point, but when you go start talking about, oh, and 100, 200, I mean, I've seen $250,000 kids without degrees, right? you know, and it's like, it, it's, it's probably, it, it's not set up, but they're making these giant financial decisions with when they've never handled, they've never even had a class on personal finance. Like they don't even know how a, che a checking account works exactly right. and we're signing them up for these big, huge, uh, complicated financial decisions. And I understand that the um, investment is made as an ROI, but when the game is, when there's both sides are pushing for bigger numbers, right? The schools and the, the lenders It's I think that, that there's no, there's, I don't feel like there's a lot of middle ground in there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so you, you framed it exactly right, but there's another player here, and the player is the borrower, right, yes. the family, right? And so I say there doesn't have to be one student in the entire country that graduates with too much debt. The, the problem is they have to make that emotional choice that they're not going to go to brand name college that has the great football team, and it costs them $70,000 a year when they can't afford to do that. And so you get into this whole thing of the emotional part of it. For, and I, I sent two of my daughters to college. I get the whole thing. You know, you want to send them. So, see, this is like a really interesting thing, right? The problem is that as a parent, you want to give everything you can, best you can for your child, right? And so a lot of parents overreach when it comes to the college decision. And the more I talk to parents and I like try to get into this, say, why is this happening? So two things are going on. One, it's a very fragile time for the family because the kid's leaving the nest, Right. And the second is the parents look back and think about all the things they wish they'd done with their kid, but they didn't do. And so then they say, oh, you know what? I'll just make it better and I'll make it up to them. And I'll just send them to this crazy expensive school and it's going to be okay. Right? <laughs> here's, ten, here's 10 Disney trips, right? Right, 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 right <laughs> And one big ball package. And one like... big ball package, right. <laughs> and I, I liken it, you know, and people kind of get this analogy. It's like, I wouldn't send my 18-year-old to a Maserati dealer and say, go pick out a car and I'll, I'll pay for it right? And the reality is that car is about the same price as a four-year college, 
right? So, you know, it's the same thing. So I, I go back to, I'm a personal responsibility guy for the most part. So yeah, I like to say, look, you know, you have an opportunity. It's hard, but you can make a smart choice, but you have to recognize that you're a consumer in this transaction, just like you're a consumer buying a car. Think about this less emotionally and more like a consumer. And I think you'll make a better decision at the end of the day. I agree. I, I agree 100%. Listen, I was in the mortgage uh, crisis era, had a mortgage company, had a real estate company and had everything else. And when everyone said, well, I, I borrowed you know $300,000 in a house because I didn't know. And it's like, no, you knew you were signing for $300,000. And in that transaction, you're an adult. Right. You know? um, and this, I think... Um, I think the explanations, the part that bothers me a lot of times that I think in this, and, and maybe you can help shed some light and I can understand it better, is that um, they, they, they sign up for $80,000, right? And they know it. They sign the paperwork. They're doing it. They're $80,000. They defer the payments. And all of a sudden, they come out of school and it's a hundred and something thousand dollars or 120 or 130. Like that payment deferral, can you kind of dive into how that works? Yeah. And I just want to make one more comment about this because I don't want to say, oh, you know, boy, if parents just made a better choice or kids, the system is rigged against <laughs> the families, right? The, fa- the, stu- the, the schools increase their prices. They know the government's going to give them money to like do this. And they say, okay, don't worry about it. We'll give you a loan and everything will be great. And the parents and the students want, they have this idea that colleges are these like benevolent, you know, paternal, maternal organizations, you're going to send your kid there and they're going to, you know, everything's going to be sweet and beautiful. These are businesses, Cody, you and I know this. a college, even not-for-profits are businesses. They've got to make money and they make money on the backs of students. That's kind of what's going on here. So one of the things that, you know, I think a family can do to answer your question, and I alluded to it when we first started, is this idea that um, when I get a loan, um, and now let, let me start out saying the problem with all this is every time I say something, there's going to be an exception to the rule. Right? Yeah. So I was going to start by saying when I get a loan, I pay interest on it. And then I thought, well, that's not exactly right, because there are some government loans where you don't pay interest on it. Right. So let's just start at like a high macro level. And the high macro level is oh, I'm going to be, borrow money from somebody. They're going to charge me interest. Somebody needs to, to make some money on that. And so for most student loans, you have a choice. You can pay the interest component while the student's in school, or you can what they call capitalize it. And we're financial guys. So capitalize it simply means that you don't pay the interest, but you add it to the balance. So if I borrow $100 and I have a dollar's worth of interest and I don't pay that interest, I have now an outstanding debt of $101. And next month, then I have to go and I have to pay interest on $101. So now all of a sudden I owe $102.20 or however the math works out. And that's how it like, just snowballs out of control for people. So yeah, I took a loan for 10,000 and maybe by the time I get out, I owe 12 or 13, depending on the interest rate. Uh, So my very first piece of advice to to parents all the time and students too, we should talk about where the student responsibility comes in and where the parent handoff goes along that line. But for now, let's just say, if you can pay that interest while you're in school, you should really do that. And that keeps the debt level. I borrow 10,000, I pay the interest only while I'm in school. And oftentimes, you know, Cody, it's not a lot of money, maybe $25, $50, $75. No, it's not a lot of money uh, per month. And it, and it adds up quickly, though, if you don't pay that over four years. So yes, yeah, the reverse of compound interest on your, exactly in your favor. Right. It's just exactly compound right. interest for the bank. It's compound interest for the bank. So the, the very first tip all the time is pay the school interest while you're in school. And you should be able to do that. So I, I think that's like a really good sort of money 101 tip for people. First, recognize that. And second, pay that. 
Yeah, I, I I really appreciate that because that's a tactical tip, right? Instead of just us saying, well, this is this is not good, it's not fair. Like it's a reality that a lot of people are going to borrow money and they're going to go into school. Um, you know, it's the uh, for me. I think one of the, the other parts of, about this, and I want to kind of dive into it with you because this like kind of gets me fired up, so I'm excited to talk about it. But um, it's the it's the notion that I think a lot of people don't realize one of the greatest things that the founding fathers did for the country was put in bankruptcy laws. Right. right. And right. so bankruptcy and why I say that is because that has been the driver of entrepreneurial dominance from the United States or since they did that. Right. And because the whole, and the reason behind that is because you could take a risk and you could borrow money and you could start a business or you could take your idea and run with it and you were borrowing money and the guy lending you the money had to kind of believe in your idea too, or at least believe in the fact that you were ability to pay it back. Right. And so they kind of had some checks and balances in there because they didn't want to lend it to you if, or didn't think, well, there's going to be a benefit at the end and you're going to pay me back. Right. Right. And so entrepreneurial wise, it's an amazing tool because we've been able to go out on a limb and all this stuff. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is, most government-backed student loans are not in that bucket, right? You can't yeah, right. Bank, you can't ever, ever bankrupt them away, whether you think you can pay them back or not. They're your debt, and that becomes a debtor's prison, um, which would be a term from, you know, back in, back in the day, but they used to put you in, in prison if you couldn't pay the debt back. But that, I think that what that does is it fuels the lending side of it to say, borrow whatever you want. You have to pay it back. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Cody. I actually testified before the Congress, one of the House subcommittees on this very issue. And, and you know, the fancy term is non-dischargeability. You can't discharge it like a credit <laughs> credit debt, so like a credit card debt. Uh, the um, bank, the fancy it, banking terms, I love yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was the CFO <laughs> of a financial services company. And this this kind of rolls off the, my yeah, tongue, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I want to I actually take the other side of this argument for just a minute, and that yeah. is this. Um, the lenders don't have any real incentive to have big defaults in their portfolios, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is what's really interesting. Right now, um, it, this number is directionally accurate. It's something like $120 billion or so every year is borrowed by uh, students to go to school. About $110 billion of that, roughly, again, rough numbers, is through the federal student loan program. And so the private lenders are doing about 10 or 12 or maybe $15 billion. At one time, it was 20 or $25 billion. But the private lenders, it's really interesting, they don't have a real incentive to have their customer defaulting on a loan. No. Um, so this has changed pretty fundamentally since the early 2000s where there was a big marketing spree out there. You know, sign up for these private credit loans, money's really cheap, and then the defaults just rolled in. Yeah. And the lenders said two things are going on here. One, we're getting a black eye. We're looking like bad guys saddling kids with debt. And two, our loan portfolio is not really good. We need a higher quality loan portfolio. So the private lenders whose whose role in the market is to help parents pay for college, I think they've been really smart about tightening up their credit criteria. The bad news is for a consumer, for for the parent, is that you have to go through that underwriting process just like a mortgage, like in in your former companies. So the federal government program, which was set up in 1965, was designed to provide access to education. It wasn't set up by bankers like me and you. It was set up by politicians who had a a real clear motive to try and get as many kids to school as possible. And you and I probably agree, that's a noble goal, right? The problem is that the way the system is set up and it's rigged against these kids, it really is, uh, is that they, they set it up so there's no incentive in place 
to make sure that the risk reward ratio is set up right. So a lot of these kids are defaulting. And why are they defaulting? It's because they're not completing college. Right, so they get all this money up front, they go for two years, and then they don't graduate. You might be shocked to, to, to hear this, but something on the order of like two thirds of all the defaults in the United States are student loans are for balances of less than $10,000. Really? Right? And like about 40% of them are balances less than 5,000. So it's not the kids who are, who are taking 100 or 200, like doctors and grad students, they're getting jobs and they're paying it back. It's not good you have $200,000 in debt, but most of those kids pay it back. The problem is, is the kids who are taking five and 10,000, they go to the local school, you know, brand name school X, they've got it, they saw a couple football games, they decided they didn't like football and they hated studying even more. And so they drop out. And those are the kids that are defaulting in big numbers. Um, so it, it's a real problem. And it's, and again, it's because the Congress did a great job. They provided access to all this education, but they didn't think about it. Like, how are we going to incent kids to pay? And more importantly, how are we going to get them to complete their education? So they actually get a job, right? That's what it's all about. I, I would, I would put a caveat on that because there's more, like you said, and I didn't think about this as bringing in the third player, right? The third player is a school. Yep. There is zero incentive for the school to get that kid to go through right and so because they collect their money and then they're and then it's gone and then there's no there's no there's no yep there's no penalty to the school and right. and, and what i have you know one of one of my i guess uh abilities been in my life is that i grew up around salespeople. So I know when someone's bsing me right <laughs> it's just, I, that's that's the best <laughs> way i can put it right and so um when I see that there's about the same amount of kids in a school, right? Uh, whatever big state school you talk about, right? Let's say 60,000 kids. Yeah. And uh, there's about the same amount of kids. There's about the same amount of uh, as administrators and professors and staff and things, right? Right. But I see school cost is up 200% right. and they're being paid for with free guaranteed loans. Right where is the money going right, right. the it's not like the football team got more expensive because they are all getting that's where they say oh we got to have football because that's the main revenue driver around here that ain't the main revenue driver so six thousand kids paying you thirty thousand dollars a year is right. the main revenue driver and they're borrowing this money but where we are we is there no there's no culpability on the school side in in this piece to, so when you go into to borrow the money they are super incentivized to get you to borrow the money Right. right. Like you want to come here, but you can't afford it. No problem. No the problem. government will give you the free money and you don't have to pay anything for four years. And you know that they might not say that they're supposed to sell it that way, but I guarantee you there's a loan officer who is in that school who is uh, incentivized on the amount of money that he gets lent. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about that, but I'll tell you what is absolutely hundred percent true when uh, I don't know how old your kids are, but what, what shocked me is that the financial aid award letter, when that shows up, right? So you get in, you're really excited. Great. I got into the college of my dreams and they send this award letter to you. And guess what? In the award letter, and this is another tip for, for your listeners, you have to really kind of parse this out. Um, and we've actually done this. We have a website, mycollegecorner.com. We have a bunch of free articles there and, and we have some webinars there and we have all this stuff that, that will go into a little bit more detail. But for your listeners on this, when you get your financial aid award letter, there are three parts of it. It's the free money. I call it the good stuff, the scholarships, grants, no strings attached. You pay it back. You don't have to pay it back. You get it for free. Then they have like the earned aid, which is uh, basically the work study job, which is just a job, right? It doesn't reduce the cost, but it's just a job. So you have something to pay. And then on the financial aid award letter, they can package the student loan. 
right? So they say, okay, guess what? To your point, okay, I can give you, the good news is the government caps how much of a loan you can get. So freshmen can only get 5,500, sophomore is 65, and it goes like 7,500. So they have a cap on it. But the bad news is it's right there and you get this award letter. Say, oh, look at this. It's, you know, we only have to come up with another 10,000 after the financial aid award letter. You say, well, wait a minute. If you don't have 10 grand in savings, that means you're borrowing 10 grand somewhere else. So your borrowing now for a freshman is not 5,500, it's 15,500. And by the way, you better know how to multiply by at least four, right? Because you're going for four, you know, 60% of the kids take six years to graduate. The, the majority of kids take more than four years. So if you really want to be realistic about it, to your point earlier, you better know how to multiply. Like, look at that first year, how much it's going to cost you and multiply by four or five, right? Yeah. And that's how much money you have to come up with. And it, it piles up really fast. And so I, I think I, I say this, um, you know, and, you know, somebody probably be really upset with me, but I, I just think it's a crime that the federal government allows a school to list a loan as part of a financial aid award letter. It's not aid, it's a loan. Right. And, yeah. and even worse than this, like, let's say we go through and say, OK, I can give you I can give the student fifty five hundred. The government has what I think is a predatory loan. It's called the plus loan um, and the plus loan. You'll, you'll appreciate this as a former mortgage banker. The plus loan has credit criteria, which basically says you don't have any long delinquencies for a long time. Right. Other than that, you, they, 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 they term it in such a way there's no derogatory credit. Again, for us banker types, that that's a very low bar. Right, so I'll, they'll give a parent full cost of attendance at a big interest rate with an upfront load, and they think that that's okay. And the, and the school can say, well, we got this plus loan for you. No problem. You can come here to your first point. You know, we'll sign yeah. you up. Here's your dorm room. This is going to be great. <laughs> how much does how much does that cost? What, what's the payment? Because that's what everybody talks about when they're borrowing something. Right. No payments. Not until you graduate okay. and you got a great job. That's right. Don't worry about it. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I um, <laughs> and so I I guess now that we've kind of both kind of got a, a, a little bit of our steam off right on the on the on the <laughs> subject because I, I I know it's a passion for you and it's it's for me as well and so um, uh, what what is a I mean I love the fact you've given two tactical tips in there and so um if you're if if, a, if someone's listening right now and their kids a freshman in high school or junior yep. and they're getting ready to start kind of thinking about these things and they're doing them where where what kind of resource do you think that you would start with or where would you where because where, it's a lot of information and so where would you start because yeah. i want to i kind of want to do this in the conversation i want to talk about where you start and then after this i want to talk about okay yeah i already have the student loan debt what do you do now because i know you have yeah. a lot of great tips for that so i kind of yeah. at this point i kind of want to run through the hierarchies yeah. of where you're at with it yeah, well, hey, thanks for the opportunity event. I always appreciate that, but, <laughs> but we'll be practical now. So the first thing that students has to understand, families understand, there are two loan programs, and we talked about this before. The federal government's loan program, which, by the way, I think is for a student the very best pro student loan they can get because it's, you know, who's going to underwrite an 18-year-old credit, right? So the government does that, and they, as I said, they put a cap on it. It's a fixed-rate loan, so once you get that loan, you know, you know what the rate is going to be. There's a small charge for it, but again, it's, it's a small charge. So if, I, if you're, uh, uh, you asked about being a freshman in high school, the very first thing is just to understand at a high level, what are the opportunities gonna be when it comes to financial education? And the loan programs, the federal government has a program for students, which is really good. Um, as I said before, I don't like the student loan program, the federal loan program for parents. I think that a lot of parents, particularly if they have a credit score 
of you know better than 720 or 730, they can do better in the private credit student loan market. So I just want to take a minute to differentiate. You have the federal government program, then you have these private lenders. And private lenders can be banks, they can be credit unions, there are state agencies involved all across the country. So wherever you are, you know, just private credit loans, you can Google it and you'll find an agency um, in your state most likely uh, that will offer some loans. And then the, the great thing about uh, the private loan program from my perspective is, uh, you talked about bankruptcy. The question always is, well, who's gonna owe this at the end of the day, right? So in the federal loan program for students, you know that the student's gonna have that and there are really favorable repayment programs now in place. So when kids get out of school, based on what their income is or what their, what their situation in life is, they might defer those payments for a period of time. They, if they have a real serious problem, they might forbear them so they don't, they don't have to make any payments in those two circumstances. Or they might call up their lender and say, hey, guess what? You know, my, I just got laid off and I'm having this problem. What can I do? And they'll find a, an income contingent program that will allow them actually to use their disposable income to make affordable payments. And if everything goes completely sideways for, for the student, um, there are often loan forgiveness at the end of that, after like 20 years or 15 years. So the government's done, I think, a pretty good job on the student side to try to make it as favorable as they can. On the parent side, um, and what I want, point I want to make on the private credit loans is they have a mechanism there, which I love, and it's called co-signer, like a co-signer release. So in order to get a private loan, like I said, you know, you have to have, go through an underwriting process like a mortgage. Well, the kid's not going to qualify. So I did this uh, for each one of my daughters. Um, I, we got a loan. I co-signed it. So the bank said, okay, John's got pretty good credit here. We'll give him this interest rate. And the beauty of it is having both my daughter and myself on that loan note, then the lender says, okay, I've got two, two people who could possibly pay me. So they send my daughter the invoice. If she can't pay, they come to me and say, John, she didn't pay and I'm, I'm going to pay. So you have two borrowers. Then they have a function called this co-signer release. And what that says is once the kid's up on their feet and they don't need the parent's credit anymore, you can go to the lender and say, okay, you know, I'm making these payments. I've been making them on time for two years or whatever it is. I want my parent to be taken off that loan, right? And so then I, as the co-signer, am released. I'm no longer obligated to pay that. The bird's flying. She left the nest. Everything is great. She got her loan, and I, I was able to help her use my credit score to get a favorable late rate. And then I'm released once she makes the payment. So, you know, at a high level, those are the programs and, and I think some of the attributes. Like your question, though, which I'm not trying to dodge, I'll go back to, is like, where do you get this information, right? Um, so um, at our site, mycollegecorner.com, we have a lot of that information. Our book actually, although it was written in 2016, it was written to be sort of a plain English guide. So if, you're, if your borrowers go to Amazon and they buy the book, what they'll find is all this information sort of in plain English. The loan rates won't be current because you know, they're, they're out of date now, but they have a really good fundamental understanding of what these programs are and how it fits into the bigger picture of how you're actually going to pay the bill. Can you get scholarships and all the rest of it? And then the last thing I'll, I'll say is that um, I think the Department of Education actually does a really good job on their website of laying all this out. Um, so if you want a, a fundamental place to start, go to the Department of Education, um, you know, or just Google federal student loans. Um, you go to the DOE site and they have really good information about uh, what their programs are about. And the, the private loan programs, again, I explained a little bit about this. You can get some information about that elsewhere.
No, that's a, that's a very big distinction that release. Um, I think that that's a, that's an amazing um, tip to, and in, in, in both of those situations. Right. And so one is um, <clears throat> there, I don't think that this is explained very well to many people. And so I don't, you know, minor six and eight, I haven't got there yet, but um, you know, it's, it's a lot of times in financial education, it's really going out to get your information on your own. And that's right. what you kind of talked about in the bar, because if you wait for it, you're, you're not going to be, if you don't educate yourself, you're not going to have the information at hand that you, that's important to you and your family. So you're going to get general information. You're going to get whatever that person has to offer. You know, if you go to the state own, you know, lead site, like you talked about, or you go to the guy who, who only deals in government loans, that's what they're going to talk about. They're not going to talk about the benefits of going somewhere else to be a private loan. Right. right? Generally. Right. Um, so in the, uh, in, in the, um, idea of when there's um, private or government loans where the parent is tied to it. Um, I, I would, I wonder what the graduation rate difference is between the private loans and the government loans. And I wonder if there's a correlation into there because mom and dad's name are tied onto it. So you've got, uh, <laughs> you've got a, you've got a, you've got a, a, a uh, a motivator. Let's call it that, right? Something. That <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs> You've got a coach on your side, really pushing you to finish that thing up so that you can pay for your loans and I can get released. And I wonder if that, uh, what that does, because the reason I'm thinking that John is because I, I think that a solution to some of this, and I'm usually generally more like as free market as I can be, sure. right? I don't like interventions because I feel like as you start pushing one thing, it comes out on the other side somewhere else. And so yep. um, I, I don't, but I don't think we're going to pull out fun, federal student funding. So on the flip side of that, I say, okay, well, what might be a solution to tie somebody in there? So there's a different motivator. And I think that, what are your thoughts on having the schools tied in to have some incentive to getting the kids through the school, if they're receiving that much more money now than they used to, yep. what, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you hit the nail on the head, you know, uh, it, and the reality is um, we, we go back to the point I made earlier, which is the government program was set up by politicians, mm -hmm. right? And so politicians, for the, most are, 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 for the most part, are overseeing this whole process. So your idea is a great idea. It's also been hatched, you know, before by some pretty strong politicians on the department, uh, I'm sorry, and like the... the House or the Senate Education Committees, like Chairman uh, Lamar Alexander in, in Tennessee and others have talked about a college accountability. And there's a congressman from South Carolina who is all over this. And you know, then what happens is the schools get wind of this and then they rally around. And then the next thing you know, it's not such a great idea anymore. And you know, we're on to talking about, well, you should find a way to make sure that those kids are making their payments. You know, they're not really so worried about like cost control. And that's, that's just not there. So here's the thing, uh, Cody, you know, this, this uh, uh, coronavirus is not only unsettled, you know, just our everyday world, it's completely turned the education model upside down, right? And we're going to see a lot of schools here, they're going to have a lot of serious economic problems. There's a reckoning that's going on in, in a big way. And we're just now starting to see the fallout of that. We're going to have to see what happens when the schools are, are, are really put their feet to the fire on this. And it's no longer a competition about who has the best gym and the great rock climbing wall and the concierge service in the dorms. It's going to be, okay, what am I doing on the back end? And so my, my other piece of advice to, to uh, families and students in particular is, and the Department of Education, I'll, I'll give them credit for this. I've seen them in the last year or so conferences saying, we want to focus on the outcome. 
-hmm. we think that students in ninth grade and 10th grade should start thinking just generally, you know, what do you want to do? Going to college should not be your goal. <laughs> Getting a college degree and a job should be your goal, right? And that should just be like the means to the end, right? Uh, guilty. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I wish I could say, oh, not me, but you know, yeah, but, but that but was I, all. But that's an entrepreneurial idea. Yeah, it, well, and right? that's kind of that's what's that, interesting about what what's going on. I think this whole um, this whole movement at Department of Education, for instance, you know, um, we talk about minimizing debt. One of the way to minimize debt is to like set up a savings program for six and eight year olds, so that by the time they get to school, we have a, a trademarks uh, phrase at mycollegecorner.com, and it's um, saving a dollar today is better than borrowing one tomorrow, right? So every dollar that you save, you know, you're just reducing the amount of debt by by that much. And the, the point I wanted to make is the Department of Education and the Congress actually over the last three or four years. He's done a really good job of trying to broaden that out. So like the 529 college savings programs now can be used for apprenticeships, not just going to college, but for apprenticeships. It can be used to pay down student debt with a cap on it. So they're, they're trying to think creatively about ways to make this happen. But your point is they will never attack the college cost side of this. They're, they're, you've got to be a responsible uh, borrower on the front end. Families have to take responsibility for what they're buying. They, you know, if they can't afford the Maserati, buy the Ford, and you're going to get out, and you're going to have a really good ride, right? And that's yeah. kind of the way it is. And I think, well, for me, I mean, not all degrees are created equally as well. And so sometimes right. we're selling Fords for Maserati prices. Correct. Right. And that's the that's the thing where you're talking about on the outcome side of it. And that's why I kind of said in the middle of their interjective, say, and that's an entrepreneurial idea, right? Yeah. And so as as a serial entrepreneur. Um, outcome is the only thing that matters, right? And so if, if you're, if you're going to sell something to somebody, and let's say you build Adirondack chairs, right? And I build an Adirondack chair and I built it and it took me, cause I'm not very good with a saw, right? I mean, a sander. So, uh, it, it takes me a month to make an Adirondack chair. And John, you are a woodworking master. You've been at it for 30 years. You build an Adirondack chair in 20 minutes. It's the same value of the Adirondack chair, right? right? That's Absolutely. an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Is how do you, if the outcome is the only thing that matters in the education and government world, it's not, it's that, well, I had to work for a month. Why am I only getting hundred dollars for my Adirondack chair? Right. And that's the part that like, I think the frustration comes from, uh, you know, someone like myself that doesn't, I don't see things that way. I want the outcome to be tied to what these guys are getting, what they're, what they're taking because they're making promises and they're not fulfilling them. And it doesn't matter that you taught them for two years. They didn't get better off into a degree or a job. If you, that's your function, yeah. that, then you should be graded in that aspect. And that's kind of what, yeah, I, that's what I see, you know? Yeah, 100%. No, no question. I, we have a very small company. And I often talk, and when I was at a larger publicly traded company, we used to talk all the time about the dichotomy between effort and result. And I would say to people, I want you to put in as little effort as you possibly can to get the maximum result. But don't come to me and tell me, oh, you know, I, I, I had to work, you know, 75 hours and I'm almost there. It's like, I don't, you're not there, right? The result is not there. And so, you know, put in a little effort, give me maximum result. We're all going to be really happy, right? And I think it's the same thing for families who are thinking about paying for college. Think about it. I think your point when you led off by saying, what does a ninth grade family do? That's exactly the time that folks should start thinking about this like really seriously yeah. and they don't need a 20 page strategic plan to get little Sally into Harvard. They just need to have a general idea. If Sally wants to go to the community college or to Harvard, what's the general cost 
how much have they actually saved, not how much they want to have saved or they thought they had saved, how much they actually saved, what are they actually going to have when Sally goes to school, and how are they going to afford that school so that when they come out, no matter what the outcome is, they're not saddled with a crazy amount of debt. Yeah, and that's, and I think being strategic too of like college is a tool, right? And it is a tool in design. I don't, I have to kind of guard myself because as an entrepreneur, I don't think you have to go to college to be successful, okay? I went to college and I don't use most of the things that I took classes in. I didn't think it was unvaluable. I had a great, you know, great run while I was there and I uh, decided, I found out what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the financial world. Uh, I, want, I went to school a marine biologist, but like, um, but I, but there was an outcome for me that I wanted to go to school for, you know, it's the idea that I'm going to go to school and get a communications degree and then just put out, like, a, there's no, or, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, basically a thinking degree, you know, one, one of those, right? Like you're going to go get a thinking degree, but not be a philosopher, right? right? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. so I think it, a lot of times with, with college, it needs to be this is the tool I'm going to use to get to here. Like what's the quantifiable end result? What's a QER? Right. right? And so yeah. if you have that in mind, and those are the conversations that I think are very important to have, I don't expect ninth graders and 10th graders and 11th graders to know what they want to be when they grow up because I knew like 10 jobs, right? right. <laughs> I heard it. I heard some, someone described it to me when they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was like, like the 10 things that you could order from Amazon as a Halloween costume, right? Like you could be like a fireman, a policeman, like right. a doctor. Right, right, right. Exactly. You know? like, uh, and so um, I, I don't expect people to say, hey, look, what do you want to be when you grow up? But we need to have these conversations about like, okay, what are you leaning to? What are your interests? What's going to be something yeah. that you want to go into a field of? And yeah. then strategically use that as college as a tool to say, hey, look, I think that gives you a why on the end, which helps with the graduation rate. Yeah. Or maybe like you said before, guilty, maybe, maybe you're like me where I, I went to college because I ran track and like I had a trance. So I was a 400 meter hurdler and I went to Boston university and the coach at the time was the world record holder in the 400 meter hurdles. Like, so when he called and said, Hey, do you want to come and run with us? I was like, okay, I'm done. Right. But I got to be you and I, this is God's honest truth. I pulled a hamstring my sophomore year going over a hurdle really badly. And Cody, I'm telling you, this is hundred percent truthful. As I hit the ground, I knew my track career is over and I thought I've got to start studying. That was the first <laughs> thought that came to my mind. And, you know? <laughs> and but, but kind of my point of that is that I, that was my plan was to go like in, you know, and run. And, but I also um, had that maybe EQ to say, okay, I've got to like now actually, this is the time like do something. Right. And I was yeah. only a sophomore and I switched majors. I was a chemistry bio major. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I had zero aptitude for any of that. I went to the labs, everything looked the same. I said, I can't compete with these kids. So I became a political science major. And, you know, to your point, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I got out, I got a job in Washington. Then I, I went to business school and I got an investment banking thing. And, you know, here I am an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I, if you said to me 40 years ago, you know, what are you going to do? it would not have been this, right? I, I didn't even know it existed, right? <laughs> exactly. And so you gotta like be really, you know, flexible about things. And some kids go to college. I talked about this with my, my business school classmates. Some of them came into business school. They knew exactly what job they wanted at the end. I got to business school. I still didn't even know their investment banks. I wound up working for one, but literally the day I walked in, I didn't know there were investment banks in the world. And it turned out I started working for one. So, you know, be flexible. You know, to the extent, if you don't have a plan, 
just know that you don't really have a plan, but start to like think, okay, I've got to like get a plan. Yeah, you've got to get <laughs> to the end. You've got to get yeah. to the end though. That's my point yeah. in like having the conversation about the what the end goal of college use is, is that you're going to have a why to finish. Absolutely. Right? And so um, I'll tell you something funny. I played football at UCF and I knew the moment that I needed to start studying was the moment that Dante Culpepper walked in and I was in the quarterback <laughs> room and the kid goes, look at that guy. And I go, holy cow, please tell me he's not a defensive end. And he looks at me and he goes, you don't know who that is? And I go, no. And he goes, that's Dante Culpepper. I go, who's that? He goes, the other quarterback. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, he's the, big, the biggest, fastest NFL quarterback that's ever lived in right. college was standing next to me. He's six foot five, 270 pounds, and you could bounce quarters off of him and you can run a four five. And I'm like, yep. well, I'm probably not going to the NFL now. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> like that guy's going, I'm not going. So I better get real good at this stuff that I figure out what I'm going to do. So exactly. <laughs> but I, you know, and like I said, I don't expect kids to know what they want to be when they grow up. I, I still probably don't know what I want to be uh, by the time I'm done with this thing, you know, because I've been open so many businesses and stuff and it's like um i i don't necessarily need that that they need to do you know this has to be strategic or don't go you know right. because i do think I that there's value there because of network building and doing those things it's just i think you want to have more conversations with them about uh getting to the end because um yep leaving three years in or two years in or one year in is just it's it's setting you back pretty hard you know yeah it is and so, um, well, let, let's, let's, John, let's, let's switch gears a little bit here on this and talk about, um, uh, let's say they, they, the, the people hearing this or the uh, parents or the kids are listening to this and they're, they're learning about uh, what to do before getting student loans, but they're sitting there with a bunch of student loans already sure. and they're out of school and uh, yeah. they're trying to figure out this is just, now, now they're, now they're angry like us, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, and then like, like 90% of the population, but so, um, what, uh, what do they do? What are your tips yeah. now? Like once you've already, like, let's say you've already, you've already been through this, you know, yeah. this, you've been to this, on this rodeo and, uh, and you've got the student loan debt. What are yeah. some of the tips that, tips that you can provide that, um, that they can, they can move forward with? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question, Cody. So, so first know what kind of debt you have. Do you have a federal loan? Or do you have a private loan? Sounds simple, but a lot of people just, they sign the papers. They don't really know. So um, the way you find out about that is you call your student loan servicer and ask them and they'll tell you, or you can go to the, uh, these days, uh, the great news is that the um, technology is such that the Department of Education, when you sign up for these federal loans, you have a portal and you can go and look. So if you're getting bills from, um, uh, you know, XYZ bank, uh, for a student loan, you know that that's not a federal loan. And you can go on your on the portal and the, the, the Department of Education say, okay, here are your federal loans. So if you're getting a loan you know, notice from somebody else, you know that you got a private. But you want to know, first thing is like, okay, how much do I have outstanding? What are my monthly payments going to be? Who's the lender? And that's really important because the most important tip I give everybody is the second, like the nanosecond you think you're going to have trouble paying your student loan, you should call that lender and say to them, I think I'm having a problem or I am having problems. I don't want to be a defaulter. I don't want to be delinquent. What are my options? Like what happens here? And like I said earlier on the federal side, there are a lot of options, right? So you know, borrowers will find they have relief. They probably didn't think they could. On the private side, um, oftentimes there's not the same kind of relief, but they might want to work with you, right? So the very first thing is like, make sure you know what you owe. Second, make sure you know who your student loan lender is and make sure you contact them if you have any help. Then once you've done that, you're kind of going along, 
um, the market has evolved so that you can start managing that debt better. Um, at mycollegecorner.com, we posted an article this week, the difference between refinancing a student loan and consolidating it, right? So I'm not going to do another 10 minute conversation, but at a high level, the point is you have opportunities within the federal program to put all your loans. So maybe you get out and you have eight loans, you know, in, in, while you're in school, all the federal loans can be consolidated into one new loan. There are benefits and there are, are sort of downsides of that. So you want to understand what they are. Again, the Federal Department of Education website outlines them really clearly. So there's no magic around any of that. Or you can refinance your loans in the private market, um, just like you can refinance your mortgage. So if you have a fixed rate loan at a higher rate and interest rates came down the way they have in the last several years, students might find that they can go and refinance that uh, loan in the private market. Again, as long as the caveat, of course, as long as they qualify for all the credit underwriting. Good news is on the federal side, consolidation, no, no federal, uh, there's no underwriting criteria. Everybody's eligible to do that. Uh, on the private side, you have to have some underwriting uh, in place. Now, those are big key takeaways from this, man, because I think um, as many people uh, are trying to figure out their finances right now, uh, after, you know, with, with all these things going on with COVID and, uh, yep. and whatnot, it's... Um, I, I think a big takeaway is for people to understand that they're not alone. They're not the first one to go through issues or problems with, with loans, but um, the best thing you can do is to attack your problem and find out your options yep. and, and, and talk to the lenders because they are also, in, they want you to make it as well, right? Like there's no, there's no, there's no win for them if it, the loan defaults. Correct. And so, um, that is one thing I will say that the, the guarantee aside on those loans has caused is that they've had to find a lot of options for people who could default and to help them to stay afloat so it doesn't default. And so if you've got, you know, if you're struggling or just educate yourself, take the time, it's worth it. If it saves you thousands of dollars and it takes two hours of education, then you've saved a thousand dollars an hour, right? You, you, would, you would take that job all day long if someone offered it to you. So remember on the flip side of it, if it's saving you a thousand dollars and it takes you an hour to figure out, go take that hour now and figure it out so that you have the best situation possible. And so, yeah, and you know, Cody, you, you kind of triggered one thing and, and we're probably getting short on time, but this is really important. Like the COVID, um, uh, the whole COVID pandemic problem, there's a huge opportunity here for people with student loans today. And that is from March 26th. And now it's been extended. It was supposed to be up the end of September, but now it's going to December 31 the interest rate on all federal loans is zero. And so, and the payments have been deferred, um, which means, you know, as a mortgage guy, you'll appreciate this. I'm telling people, you should be paying as much on your student loan as you possibly can right now, because you're not paying any interest. So if you have a, a $2,000 loan and you're able to pay, you know, $50 or hundred dollars a month, you are just reducing that principal amount dollar for dollar. The savings on the back end of that's going to be huge. So, um, again, for a list for your listeners, your audience, if they're if they have loans out there, um, try to make the payments as best you can. Particularly, you know, a lot of people uh, they're they're fortunate they have the jobs they're they're doing this, and there's no required payment. I tell them pay it as fast as you can because dollar dollar reduction in principal is a, a bargain of a lifetime. Yeah, that's huge, man. Thank you for bringing that up, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought that point up because there are you know, programs put in place for people that are in very bad situations, but if the program's there and you're not in the very bad situation, the program's still available to you. So use it, make Absolutely. sure, like you said, you're reducing that debt 
your future self will thank you for it. Right. And, uh, and, and, and the debt reduction is dollar for dollar, which is just, you know, fantastic in the, in, in an opportunity to, to reduce debt. So if you can do that, please do. Um, John, I, um, I want to thank you for coming on. We went a little long, but the, uh, I think the topic and the, uh, the, the things that we've been able to bring out were super impactful. Um, I know we mentioned uh, definitely going to uh, mycollegecorner.com. Um, is that the best place to connect with you and find out more about what you guys are doing? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, that, that's a great place. Or your, um, your listeners can find me at john, J-O-H-N, at inviteeducation.com. And we love talking to folks. So uh, you know, please feel free to contact me. Thank you. Awesome, Great to be man. with you, Cody. Thanks, Absolutely. Man. Thank you for coming on Money Talkers. Yeah, glad to do it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.